Grab your Bibles, if you will, and let's open them to um, the book of Ecclesiastes. And while you're finding uh, Ecclesiastes, I just want to remind you of, of an announcement that I made two weeks ago, and um, it has nothing to do with my retirement. I'm sorry. Um, but it does have to do with some things that I'm going to do as I retire, or before I retire, and that is one more trip to Israel. This is it for me. This is my swan song. So if you're interested in going to Israel, you need uh, to let me know. We have 32 spots. 28 of them are taken. There are four spots left. So if you're interested in going to Israel, it's in April, April the 8th through the 19th. Um, it's, um, it's a trip of a lifetime. I need to hear from you post-haste. So come see me after the service. <clears throat> um, now... Ecclesiastes chapter 12, you follow as I read. Beginning at verse 9, I'll read to the end of the book. It reads like this. And moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yes, he, he pondered and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find acceptable words and what was written was upright, words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and the words of scholars are like well-driven nails given by one shepherd. And further, my son, be admonished by these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is wearisome in the fle to the flesh. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. And keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God, this word, this endures forever. Guys, as, uh, as you know, um, Solomon has spent ten chapters basically a description of his lifetime in his pursuit of a life of meaning um he has included things in here that are so uh, complex but he's come to the end of the book and now he wants to give you some of the conclusions to which he has come in his pursuit of a meaningful life he has some, some conclusions that he has drawn, and he wants to give those conclusions to us in the form of some advice that he has for us. In fact, it's, it's so interesting that he uses the term, my son. You see, not only is he speaking to, to an audience such as this, it's as if he's speaking to his son. Um, the preacher is the term that he uses to describe himself, which I thought is so interesting. He starts off that way in chapter 1, verse 1, too, the preacher. But the preacher father says to his son, after I've spent all of my life trying to find a meaningful life, I, I want to leave behind some advice for you. And it's really, it's really not even advice, because advice is something I think you get from Dr. Phil or Dear Abby. This, this is more than advice. This is, this is almost like an epitaph. 
an epitaph written by a man who, um, who has sought to find meaning, but instead he found vanity. And so he, um, before he rides off into the sunset, he offers some advice, conclusions. Um, <clears throat> they're far more than suggestions, ladies and gentlemen. He's telling his son and us, if you want to find a meaningful life, This is how it's going to be found. And then he gives some advice. So let's, um, let me show you three of those. Three pieces of advice that he leaves behind for us and his son in the hope that we and his son will find a meaningful life. And he says there's three things, at least three things, that need to be kept in mind. The first one is really in chapter 11, which I did not read, and I did not read it on purpose. But uh, it's 11, 1, and 2. Look at it. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a serving to seven and also to eight, for you do not know what evil will be on the earth. You know, guys, that's some pretty odd language. But I'm telling you, I think you know what it means. It's not that hard. It's just just language we don't often use. The language is simply, or the, the meaning is simply this. Give it away. Give it away. Jesus talked that a lot. He taught it in Matthew 10. He taught it in Matthew 16 and Mark 8, John 12. And and his language was this. If you're going to find life, you've got to lose it. If you're going to find life, you've got to give it away. And, and, And this Ecclesiastes passage is just the Old Testament version of what Jesus taught in the New. If you're going to find life, you got to give it away. you got to lose it to find it. You know Jesus said that. Well, so did Solomon. They both said it. They both taught it. If meaningful life is to be found, it's going to be found in the giving away of one's life. Now, um, when has anyone told you that? When did anybody else give you that kind of advice? In fact, this culture of ours... Uh, I, I would say teaches the very opposite of that. Oh, oh you, didn't, you didn't think I was referring to your money, did you? Oh, no, no, no. It's far bigger than that. It's far bigger than your money. It's you. It's you that he's saying, cast you. Cast you on the waters. Give a serving to seven or eight. Life under the sun, ladies and gentlemen, he talks about through the first 10 chapters. Life under the sun is about gathering. Oh, don't we know a lot about that around here? We're convinced that the one who wins has got the most toys at the end. Gathering, that's life under the sun. But the preacher says, you're going to find a life of meaning. It's going to be as you give it away, as you... Cast your bread upon the waters. And, and, and I can do that because I'm trusting in a God who has never broken a promise that he's made to me. He's kept them all. I, I'm, I'm, I can do that because I'm, I'm leaning upon a God who's known for his faithfulness. I can do that because the God 
There's a God who made me and a God who found a way to save somebody as wicked as I am. And so believing and trusting in that God. Cast your bread upon the waters. Give a serving to seven or eight. You know, I have people say to me a couple times a year, and they say it with a straight face. They look at me and as if this is applaudable and laudable. They say, um, well, you know, I, I just needed a little bit of me time. What? For what? What, what do you need me time? I mean, are you going to use it so that you can grow more selfish than we already are? I'm reading a book on World War I. It's quite good if you're interested in stuff like that. It's uh, called The Guns of August. Um, and then there's this little vignette about a war correspondent who was covering the war, and he, um, um, he comes upon, uh, in, his, in his job, he comes upon a little humble, compassionate nun who is swabbing out the blood and the yuck in, a, in a, the wound of a soldier that had become gangrenous. And when he saw it, he, he, uh, he was repulsed by it, and, and he turned away and gagged, and, and, and he said under his breath, <laughs> I wouldn't do that for a million bucks. The little nun overheard him, and she said, neither would I. The advice that the preacher has for us, ladies and gentlemen, is... Um, Cast your bread on the waters. D- divide a portion to seven or eight and, and don't keep track. Throw away the clipboard and don't expect to get letters of thanks and don't anticipate that somebody's going to do you uh, up in a bronze bust and put you in a, in a museum someplace. Don't, don't expect to get rich or have your name up in lights and don't expect to, to, to be reciprocated either. Now, how's that for countercultural advice? You don't look at that. You don't read that much on your Facebook page, now do you? But it's the advice of of a man who spent all of his life looking for meaning. And he comes to the conclusion and he says, there's going to be a meaningful life. You're going to have to give it away. He didn't know it. But he was just saying something that Jesus would say repeatedly later. You know, back in the early 70s, there was kind of an R&B singer, um, songwriter kind of guy whose name was Bill Withers. And Bill Withers wrote a song that came, became quite a hit. They still play it. You can still hear it uh, on at least the stations that I listen to. Um, and and the, the title of the song is Use Me. And, um, of course, he wasn't talking about Ecclesiastes 11, but... Um, um, he, he, there's this refrain in the song and it says and I want to spread the news if it feels this good getting used then you just keep on using me until you use me up boom 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 you know guys that's a very biblical message it's the message of cast your Cast your bread upon the waters. Give out a portion of seven or eight. And, 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 and don't try to keep track. If, if, if life is to have any meaning for you, you're going to have to lose it. Hmm. 
Here's the second piece of advice he has. It's in chapter 12. He opens chapter 12 by saying this, remember now your creator in the days of your youth. Now let me, let me tell you two quick things about this passage. First of all, um, there are two remembers. You'll see it in, in verse 1, you'll see it in verse 6. Remember your creator. The, the argument that he has is in between those two remembers. He's making a point and then he's arguing his point in between those two remembers. Now, what does remember mean? Is it simply, oh, well, now don't forget God in your life. No, it's, not, it's, it's far bigger than that, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, I should have had a V8. No, it's not that. It's not that. The, the word remember is used throughout the scriptures. And the place where I think it's, its meaning is best seen is in 1 Samuel chapter 1. If you want to find that real quick or you can just listen to me. Um, you know the story about Elkanah? He was a man who had two wives, Penina and Hannah. You remember Hannah? And Penina was fertile and Hannah was barren. And they go off to this religious festival and Hannah uh, is praying and she's, the, the priest thinks she's drunk. Remember that? And, um, but, but it turns out, of course, she's not. But um, in, in uh, 1 Samuel 1 verse 19, here it is. Then they rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord and returned and came to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah, the husband, knew his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. I mean, is he, is, is, what is that saying? Is it, um, oh, well, the Lord had almost forgot about poor Hannah, and then all of a sudden he remembered her. No. No, guys, the, 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 the sense behind that word is that one acts decisively on behalf of someone else. The Lord acted decisively on the part of Hannah. And so what Solomon is telling us to do, remember the creator in the days of your youth, is to act decisively on behalf of God. You serve him, you know him, you follow him. You seek to represent him well. Because, ladies and gentlemen, if, according to the preacher, it is our self-styled independence from God that robs us of a meaningful life. Go out and make as much money as you want to make. Go, go, go do it. And you know what you get, don't you? It's interesting what he says. Remember your creator in the days of your youth before the difficult days come. What's that? What's the difficult days? Ladies and gentlemen, for many of us, we're in them. Because what you get in these next verses is a description of the hazards of old age. What you're being told in these verses is about the difficult days. He describes the difficult days. Look at it. Um, verse 2. While the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are not darkened and the clouds do not return after the sun, after the rain. You know what that says? You see, in, in the lives of the young, and you know, don't you love that George Bernard Shaw quote about youth is such a wonderful thing, it's such a shame that it's wasted on young people. But, but, but there, for young people it rains, but the rain stops and the clouds go away. But for others, in the difficult days, it rains, the rain stops, but the clouds are still there. He's talking about 
depression or, or senility or some kind of mental state that is not sharp. And then read on. Verse 3. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men bow down. The guy's got the shakes. His hands are trembling. He stooped over. And then um, verse, uh, verse 3. When the grinders cease because they are few. He's talking about your teeth. The guy's losing teeth. It takes longer to eat. Have you ever noticed any older people um, shopping in the baby food aisle? Chances are, ladies and gentlemen, they're there not because of their grandchildren. Keep reading. And those that look through the windows grow dim. I'm, I'm losing my eyesight. Thicker lenses, perhaps cataracts. And then he says, when the doors are shut in the streets and the sound of grinding is low, my hearing is being lost. And then he adds, when one rises up at the sound of a bird. Do you know about that? Sure you do. Many of us do. You can't sleep well. You, um, anything wakes you up. You can't go back to sleep. You're interrupted all night. And then um, uh, verse 5. And also they are afraid of height. They're, they're acrophobic among other things. And then the, 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 the almond tree blossoms. The gray hair. And, and then the grasshopper is a burden. I can't, he's so heavy. I mean, I'm so weak that I can't pick up a grasshopper. And then, of course, the coup de gras and desire fails. Sexually inactive. Boy, you think taking away the keys of the car is tough. Wait till you, just wait till you got to park that baby in the garage for keeps. And then he adds a discussion of death. The most eloquent discussion of death I know of any place in the scriptures. Look at it. For man goes to his eternal home and the mourners go about in the streets. Remember your creator before the silver cord is loosed. Or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher shattered at the fountain. Or the wheel broken at the well. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was and the spirit will return to God who gave it. This is his second piece of advice, ladies and gentlemen. Remember the creator before this comes. Have you seen all the senior living facilities that are being built around town? You know why, don't you? They're for us. We're coming. Susie and I just had a, an 18-month experience with one of those facilities with her mother who, who died in October. And one of the things that we learned from that experience is this. There are people inside there who are not healthy physically, but otherwise, they are really healthy. And then there are people in there who are not healthy physically, and they're not healthy any other way either. They're sour, they're bitter, they resent, they're resentful, they're hard to get along with, they're fearful, they're racked with guilt. The advice of the preacher is this, ladies and gentlemen. You better act decisively on the part of your creator before the, the difficult days get here. Bo, but Dr. Young, you know, I don't believe in that. that. That business about the cord being broken and the gold smashing and you go to your eternal home. You know, I, 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 don't, I don't believe any of that anyway, you know. Well, if I might be as candid as you are, it doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. 
Because this God has never lied. You have, I have, but he has never lied. And whether you like it or not, you're going to do business with this God. Because all of us have lives that are headed for a sudden stop. And at that epical moment, you're going to need one thing. Christ. And then he has one third piece of advice. It starts in verse um, 13. And before I get to the piece of advice, I, I, I want to point this out. You'll notice that he introduces it by saying in verse 13, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. He doesn't do that anyplace else, ladies and gentlemen. He doesn't use those words. He doesn't say, all right, I've got now the conclusion of the whole enchilada for you. This is the only place he does that. Only place. Now, at the very least, he says that for emphasis. At the very least. But I think there's far more there than just emphasis. It's as if the preacher leans over his podium and he tries to catch each one of his listeners in the back of their retinas and say, Listen to me. Listen! Because this is the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. And keep His commandments. Ladies and gentlemen, those are simple words. And this preacher speaks them to all of us, including us preachers. And you would think, at least this preacher got it, you would think we preachers would get it. But we don't. You know, Susie and I were, were away last week. We were on a week's vacation. We were in Miami. And while we were there, um, the, there was an article in the Miami Herald, which is the newspaper there in Miami. And this is the article. Here it is. I tore it out. It was an article about my home church, Susie's home church. Uh, I think many of you know that Susie and I both came to know the Lord through the ministry of Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, when I was working with Parker and Gamble. Well, when Jim Kennedy died, they replaced him with this, this man. Um, and by the way, I'm not letting any cats out of the bag. This is in the news. It's been on television. This is, this is I, I'm, not, I'm not sharing secrets. This man's name, this is the grandson of Billy Graham. His name is Tully and Chavidian. And he's had to resign. He's had to resign because he found out that his wife was having an affair. And once he found out that his wife was having an affair, he went out to, com to comfort himself, and he had an affair too. It, was, it, all, it, was all, it all came to light, and so he resigned. I knew all that. I knew all that before this article told me. But what I didn't know is there's a paragraph in here, um, and I wish I, I mean, we don't have time to read it, but it, it starts with this sentence. Chavidian was the fourth Florida megachurch pastor to resign after having an affair in the last 18 months. The fourth. And then they list their names. I won't give you the whole names, but there's David, there's Sam, there's Isaac, and there's Joel. And then there's Tillian. Five. 
How does that happen? Well, I'm sure there's a lot of reasons. But I can tell you one of them. They did not heed the advice of the preacher who said, here's the conclusion of the whole matter. You must fear God and keep his commandments. Ladies and gentlemen, that message is throughout this book. It's all over this book. I want to show you just one place where you can find it. It's in the book of Malachi, of all places. If, if you know anything about your Old Testament, it's the last book of the Old Testament. Just find Matthew and go left one book. Um, it's the book of Malachi. And he starts, I, I found it so interesting because he says something, he says something in chapter 2 that is just intriguing. Um, chapter 2, verse 1. Malachi, chapter 2, verse 1, he says, And now, O priest, this commandment is for you. This whole chapter, ladies and gentlemen, chapter 2 of Malachi is addressed to, ah, the professional clergy. It's, a, it's addressed to me. Um, and he says in verse 2, If you will not hear, keep reading, I will send a curse upon you. Verse 3, And I will spread refuse on your faces. If you will not listen to me, O professional clergy, I will spread refuse on your faces. I don't even want to know what refuse is. And then he says in verse 4, Then you shall know that I have set this commandment to you, sent this commandment to you, that my covenant with Levi, who's Levi? Levi was the guy, that tribe was set apart for the professional clergy all the way back in the book of Exodus. I'm going to set apart a group of people who are going to minister professionally all day long in my name, the tribe of Levi, the Levites. You've heard of that. Verse 5, my covenant was with him, one of life and peace, and I gave them to him that he might, look at it, fear me. And so he feared me. Verse 6, the law of truth was in his mouth. Verse 7, for the lips of a priest should keep knowledge. You know, guys, one of my favorite C.S. Lewis quotes is about preaching. It's about the Christian preacher. Uh, Lewis says that the Christian preacher is to be this, and I quote, he's to be an adjective Humbly striving to point others to the noun of truth. You know what the preacher's supposed to be? You're supposed to find the, 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 the knowledge in his lips. He's supposed to be an adjective that is humbly striving to point others to the noun of truth. Verse 8. But you have departed from the way. You have caused many to stumble at the law. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi. What was that covenant? Oh, that they would fear him. But they didn't fear him. Last half of verse 9, because you have not kept my ways. You didn't fear me. You didn't keep my commandments. And then notice, ladies and gentlemen, what comes after that? A discussion of marriage. How does this happen? I'll tell you how it happens. 
It happens because we don't heed the message of the preacher of Ecclesiastes. He said that the conclusion of the whole matter is to fear God and keep his commandments. And by the way, if you're still in Malachi, just in case you think this book is just for preachers, oh no. Chapter 3, it's for other folks. Verse 5, it says, And I will come near for you. I will come near you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against sorcerers, against adulterers, against perjurers, against those who exploit wage earners and widows and orphans, and, because, and against those who turn away, my, uh, 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 turn away an alien. Look, because, because they do not fear me. Oh, chapter 2 is aimed at me. Chapter 3 is aimed at you. And then you notice what comes after that? A discussion of money, giving. You want one indication of whether or not you fear God and keep his commandments? Look at your giving. And then notice verse 16 of chapter 3. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. Okay, God, why did you listen and hear to them? Because. Because they heeded the advice of the preacher. Ladies and gentlemen, how do you get in this mess? And by the way, I still have potential to get, to get myself in this mess. But how do you get into this mess? You don't fear God and you don't keep his commandments. Tell me, how do you get into this? Because you do not fear God and keep his commandments. How do you, young people, you students who are stuck on some kind of social agenda, how do you get your lives in a mess so quickly? you will not heed the advice of the preacher of the book of Ecclesiastes. You do not fear him and you do not keep his commandments and then wonder why life is such a wreck. So here I am Christian preacher. And here's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to be an adjective. And I am trying to humbly point you to the noun of truth. Do you know his name? His name is Jesus Christ. I am an adjective. And I'm trying to point you to the noun. The noun of everlasting truth. His name is Jesus Christ. 
and you need him more than you need your next breath. Here's the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. Heavenly Father, would you, um, would you use not my words, but Solomon's, the words of the preacher, would you use his words? Would you cause men and women, young and old, to see that the thing that is most needed is to act decisively on behalf of the living God. To fear him, to keep his commandments, to follow him, and to chase after the Savior that he provided. Christ, Christ in all of his beauty, Christ in all of his saving wonder. Would you, O Holy Ghost, make him beautiful before the eyes of everyone who listens here? Draw them in, draw them into him. The one who in that epical moment where dust returns to dust, the only thing we will need is Christ. We pray, of course, in his name.